As Andrew said, over the past few weeks now, I've been looking at how relationships impact relationships. And I've been concentrating on a certain quote that was this. Every Christian needs a Barnabas to receive encouragement, a Timothy to guide as a protege, and an Epaphroditus to enjoy on a peer level. I'm not sure if you'd taken one of these cards that have been out the front for the whole time. If you haven't, it's not too late. But even if you haven't, I hope that as you've sat through this series, you've seriously thought and considered about those very questions. Who is my Barnabas? Who is that mentor in my life? That person that guides my walk with God. That person who brings me encouragement and wisdom. That person who has walked the road and can guide me as I walk the road. Who is my Timothy? Who is the person that I guide in life? Who is that person that is keen to watch over my shoulder? And today I'm looking at every Christian needs an Epaphroditus to enjoy on a peer level. This is all about the importance of having good peer friends. Why is that important? Well, I'm glad you asked. When it comes to your Christian walk, your friends have a major impact on that walk. Before explaining my thinking on this, let us pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you that we can come together today. And Father, we just commit today what is going to be said. And I ask that you will bring encouragement and challenges to all of us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. When we grow up, our parents teach us things to help keep us out of trouble. For many of us, we were brought up with the same instructions. They haven't changed much over the years. Things my parents said to me, I used to say to my kids, and no doubt they'll say to theirs. Things like, eat your vegetables because they help you grow big and strong. Be polite. Make sure you use the words please and thank you. It's important to stay clean and healthy. Every day, make sure you take a bath and put on clean underwear. My mum said that was a real battle, having three boys. And of course, the most important one that was always said in my house, boys, when we go to grandma's house, do not swear in front of her. No doubt some of you can identify with some of these instructions. And maybe there are some that you were never told as a child. However, I'm sure there is one instruction I could have added that everyone would have heard when growing up. The instruction of don't give in to peer pressure. I mean, when we've followed a friend doing something wrong, I'm sure we've all heard our parents say, if so-and-so jumped off a cliff, would you go and do the same? Perhaps you've even used it on your children. Do you know, I think it doesn't matter what generation you're from, all of us have been brought up with the teaching to get about giving in to peer group pressure. My parents were taught it, my grandparents were taught it, I was taught it, and so were my children. Teachings like, be careful who you hang around with, choose your friends widely. Yet for a teaching that has been around for so long, it's still a problem today. Many parents have seen their children go a different way and have said they just got involved with the wrong crowd. For parents who've never experienced this with their children, they tend to say, oh, that's nothing but a cop-out. It's blaming other people for their children's behaviour. 
Well, let me tell you, I stand here today and I saw it firsthand with one of my daughters. I can assure you it is no cop-out. The people we hang with have an influence on our life. It doesn't matter whether you're 9, 19, 29 or 99. The people you hang with have an influence on your life. How do I know? Because the Bible says the exact same thing. The Bible says the same messages that my mum and dad gave to me. Be careful who you hang with, Garth. Choose your friends wisely. I'm sure you're quite all aware that the book of Proverbs is just full of instructions. Instructions that help us do well in life. Instructions that will help us be successful in our Christian walk. Well, some of these instructions that he gives about choosing your friends. Right from the very beginning of the book in chapter 1, Proverbs provides a compelling warning against befriending those who engage in sinful lifestyles. Look at some of them. Dear friend, if bad company tends you, don't go along with them. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and you get in trouble. Where there is no wise guidance, the people fail. But in the multitude of counsellors, there is safety. Don't make friends with people who have hot, violent tempers and don't associate with people who are easily angered. You may learn their habits and not be able to change. You will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. The Apostle Paul also has the same thinking at times that Solomon did. Don't be misled by bad company. Bad company corrupts good character. You were getting along so well. Who was it that interfered with you to hold you back in following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. But it only takes one wrong person among you to affect all the others. A little yeast spreads quickly through the batch of dough. As you can see, these scriptures indicate that befriending or surrounding yourselves with foolish people will bring damage to your lives. It's not an if, it's a when. On the other hand, when you seek out wise friends, those who live right, this will bring blessings to your life. In order to do well, in order to be happy, in order to obey God, I can't help but think we must choose good, upright, ethical, honourable friends, peer groups. And we must avoid the negative, immoral peers, the ones that are going to do us damage. Who we hang with does affect your actions. How far you go in this Christian life will be impacted by the friends you choose. It doesn't matter, as I said, whether you're in school or in a nursing home. This applies to all of us. How far you go in your Christian life will be impacted by the friends you choose. It is because of this very reason I added to this card, every Christian needs an Epaphrodite's to enjoy on a peer level. So who is he? And why have I put him alongside the likes of a Barnabas and Timothy as someone every Christian should have in their life? Many of us don't know much about him. So who is he? Well, let's have a look. Now, what we do know about Epaphrodites, well, honestly, unlike the others on this card, we really don't know much about him at all. We really don't know anything about his background. 
we really don't know anything about his parents, but we gain some understanding of him through the references we have in the book of Philippians. Philippians 2, 25 to 30 says this. I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphrodites, my brother, my co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him, but also on me. So to spare my sorrow upon sorrow, therefore I'm all eager to send him back so that you see him again and you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him because he almost died for the work of Jesus Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. What's this all about? Well, it is a passage from Scripture that most historians construct their understanding and profile of this new man. We learn some things. Interestingly, Epaphrodite's name is of pagan origin. The name is drawn down from the Greek god. I'm sure you've all heard of the name Epaphrodite. Epaphrodite was the goddess of love, the Greek goddess of love. In Rome, her name was Venus. Well, this name is named after that goddess of love. In fact, Epaphrodite simply means belonging to Epaphrodite. This tells us that he came from a pagan environment. He came from a home of people that worshipped that god. Why? Because no Christian, no believer in Jesus would ever, ever give their child that name. I have never heard someone come to me after giving birth to a child and I say to them, what did you call your child? And they say, we gave him the name Satan or we gave him the name Lucifer. No Christian would probably ever do that. Well, it's the same here. No Christian would ever give him the name Epaphrodites because of what it meant. It is very likely his family worshipped this goddess. So he was born to pagan parents. However, when we first meet him or hear about him in this passage, he's now a Christian. He comes from the church of Philippi. Even though some scholars believe he probably was a convert to Paul, we really don't know when or how he became a Christian. It's not revealed. We don't know what his function even was in the church. But we do know this. Such is the power of the gospel that it can take a man steeped in dead paganism rituals and set him free to serve the living God. Even though we don't really know how or when he became a Christian, we do know when Epaphrodites heard and received the good news of Jesus Christ, the pagan God had no more claim on him. Regardless of his name, the new birth he had received through the Holy Spirit surpassed the name that he had since birth. Epaphrodites changed from belonging to the Greek god Aphrodite to belonging to Yahweh, to the God of Jesus Christ. We can see from this passage in Philippians that since belonging to Jesus, Epaphrodites was a great peer friend to Paul, something I can't help but think Paul really needed. But how did it come about? How did Paul and Epaphrodites come together? How did these two get connected? Well, it was during Paul's time 
when he was a prisoner in Rome under two-year house arrest. I don't know whether you know what it means in Rome when you're under house arrest, but what that meant was when you were home, you, could, you were okay. However, once you ever left home, you had a soldier chained to you. You weren't free in that sense. The Romans chained him to one of their soldiers, keeping him a prisoner in his own house. So even though he was in prison, though, he could still go out and had freedom to do ministry. But any time Paul went out, he had a soldier chained to him for two and a half years. The Christians from the church in Philippi, a church which Paul had founded, became aware of Paul's situation. Because they loved him deeply, they were greatly troubled by his situation being under house arrest. They realised with Paul being under house arrest, it meant he could no longer work to earn a living or support himself or support the ministry that he so eagerly wanted to do. So they decided, I know, we'll help him. The church in Philippi wanted to send Paul what we might call a care package. You know, I'm sure your church is sent out when someone's born, you send them out, you know, the family a package that has all baby stuff in it. Or when someone has a new house, you send them a package that has all food and stuff in it. It's a care package. Churches are great at it. Things, well, that's what this church at Philippi did. They sent Paul a care package, a package that would let Paul know how much they were thinking of him. So the Philippian beavers gathered supplies and gifts and put them together in this care package. Then if that wasn't enough, the believers sent another item as part of this package. They sent Epaphrodites to hand deliver the package to Paul. But the Philippian church instructed him, when you give him the package, do not come back. Stay with him. He was to stay in Rome and become a servant to Paul and help him while Paul was under house arrest. Epaphrodites was to go and help Paul do whatever Paul wanted. He was part of the care package. So Epaphrodites went to Rome and faithfully delivered the gift and the package from his home church to Paul. He then stayed and served the Lord, serving Paul and all of his personal needs. Epaphrodites had a strong desire to serve the Lord by serving Paul. However, it appears that he went above and beyond the call of duty in his serving. It seemed he worked so hard, he became seriously ill. He gave so much of himself that he became sick and almost died. God graciously restored him to health. Then Paul sent him back to his friends at Philippi with the newly planned letter. So even though his names are not immediately recognised, Epaphrodites played a key role in biblical history because it was Epaphrodites that took the letter back to that church. That letter we now know as the book of Philippians. So that's the story of Epaphrodites. That's all we have. But as I said, we gain some understanding of what he was like as a peer friend in these verses. Certain things we read give us insight into this man. And one such situation is why Paul sent him back to Philippi. Why was he sent back? Had Paul intended sending Epaphrodites back to Philippi to benefit the Philippian Christians or was the benefit for Epaphrodites himself? Well, the answer is both. Paul knew what the Philippian believers had done for Epaphrodites. He knew that they had sponsored and pledged their support to him and his ministry in Rome. Paul knew that he sent him out 
to do exactly what he was doing. Paul knew also because of the custom of the day, they would probably have given him a going away and a sending out ceremony as he left as well. That would have involved things like pinning money on him, laying hands on him, praying for him. If they did these things for Epaphrodites and then he returned home because of illness, they may have been an embarrassing situation. It may have been quite bad because it would have meant Epaphrodites comes home early without completing his term of service that he was commissioned for. Doesn't sound big to us, but for that church, it was a sign of disrespect. This caused Epaphrodites a lot of pain. He did not want the church to worry about his health. When he got sick, he didn't want his home church to be worrying about how sick he was. We read in verse 26, he stated um, he'd longing and become distressed for his sending church. He was thinking about that church. Now we can fall for the trap to believe these feelings aren't that great. Maybe he's just a little bit homesick. I mean, perhaps he's just homesick, so he got a bit unwell. Let's face it, there's no better place to be when you're sick than home. No wonder he was longing for home. He was restless. So would most people be in his situation? But what Epaphrodites was thinking was so much deeper than just homesickness. What he was experiencing, what he was going through was huge. How do we know? Well, we get a true understanding of his feeling because of the word he uses, distressed. Paul says that Epaphrodites was distressed. The word he uses is the same word Jesus used in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26. This is when Jesus says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That word sorrow and restlessness are the same Greek word and they have the same Greek meaning. They describe the confused, restless, half-distracted state produced by physical confusion and mental distress. One commentary describes the meaning in this way. It is the distress that follows a great traumatic shock. This type of distress can produce severe grief, shame and disappointment in a person. It comes to a person's life in the time of turmoil and it leaves a person feeling confused, chaotic and restless. It's much more than being homesick. It's much more than facing grief. It's much more than being really upset. It's having a turmoil in your life that leaves you distressed, where you feel you can't go on. Now, we can stop and ask ourselves, now, wait a minute. This is hard to believe. The Christians at Philippi had heard Epaphrodites wasn't doing well. They'd heard he was sick. And so, of course, a church who sent him out, began to worry about him. They began to worry about his health. Epaphrodites heard that they were worrying about him and that was what caused him the great distress. That's what was causing him all this turmoil and all this pain. We could say that's not good. His stress was related to how others were worrying about him. Where's the turmoil in that? How does that even begin to compare with the turmoil of Jesus going to the cross? That really doesn't make him to be a good peer friend. If this is the kind of person he is, if he hears someone's wrong about him and he falls and becomes a basket case, if he falls and he becomes in a heap and distress, that makes him a weak sap. 
It doesn't make him a strong person. Well, as I said, this shows a strength in life of Epaphrodites, a strength that we can all learn from. His distress was not related to his dire situation of being sick that he almost died. It doesn't, he doesn't say, that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about my health. He says his stress was related to how his situation was affecting those that cared about him so much. That's why he was distressed. He was distressed because the church in Philippi were worried about him. He was on his deathbed. He was going through turmoil and that's what he's worried about. Now, as I said, we may say, where's the turmoil in that? How can the stress of becoming concerned about others begin to compare with the turmoil of Jesus going to the cross? Well, I don't know. But let me tell you this. If the Bible is true, then Epaphrodite's distress was just the same, just as real, just as intense as Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Boy, that makes some Aphrodite some kind of guy. He loved those people so much so deeply, he was more distressed at the fact that they were worried about him than he was about his sickness and dying. This is so foreign to most of us. We could read this story and conclude, I've never heard of such a thing. What planet did this guy really come from? I mean, think about it. When was the last time you got completely distressed and totally restless because you knew someone was feeling bad or worried about a situation you were facing? Unfortunately for us today, we've changed, especially in our Western world. Most times we are more concerned with things than people. We're more concerned with possessions than relationships. So we get upset about things and we very often ignore how people feel because we're into things more than we are to people. But the bond that the Philippians had with Epaphrodites and he had with them was so deep and so rich. It could be seen in the fact that Epaphrodites was totally stressed over the worry and the sadness that he had brought to them. Paul saw this firsthand because he came to the conclusion, I need to send him back. Now, as you know, this too surprises me about Paul. Paul was a real go-getter. Paul, when you read about him in scripture, Paul's an all or nothing guy. With Paul, there's very ever a halfway. And so I think Paul could have quite easily been the guy to say to Epaphrodites, look, man, get your act together. We've got big work to do for the Lord's sake. We have more places to visit. We've got to share the gospel. This is big stuff, man. This work that we are doing is of the living God. So come on, man, snap out of it. Stop worrying. You can't be worried about them back there. You can't be worried about what they're thinking. And let's face it, if you really want them to stop worrying about you, the best thing that you could do um, to help them to stop worrying is let's go and get to work. They've sent you here to work. They've heard you're not working. They've heard you're sick. So if we get back to work, everything with them will be hunky-dory. Words like these, I believe, would be more in tune with the task-orientated character that we see in Paul. However, that's not what we see. Paul says it's necessary for Epaphrodites and also for him to send him back. In spite of all the qualities Paul states about this man, he calls him a brother, both belonging to the same source of life, 
the Father of God. He calls him a co-worker that I need because they've been working together towards the same goal. He calls him a fellow soldier who fights the battle with me, sharing in the same trials. With qualities like these things, we can imagine the impact that this man had on Paul. But in spite of all these qualities, in spite of these lists that Paul just said, in spite of the dynamic impact he would have had on Paul's life, Paul says it's necessary to send him back. Isn't it wonderful to know that some people in ministry are compelled by relationships rather than programs? Because that's what you learn from this. Epaphrodites was a man of obvious devotion, faithfulness and self-sacrifice. He was a man of compassion. He put the interests of others before himself. He modelled the mind of Christ. He served Paul so much that his own health broke. Then even when he was sick, Epaphrodites took no thought of himself. He was more concerned for others. For him to go and to simply meet all the needs of the Apostle Paul indicates to me he saw the role of coming alongside someone to serve as something extremely important. We can be sure this man had a servant heart. Epaphrodites was a man of genuine spiritual virtue a man of depth in terms of his love and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. When a man like Epaphrodites gives himself for the sake of the kingdom, many people benefit. Many people are blessed. No wonder when describing him, Paul says, such a man is worthy of honour and his presence is a cause of rejoicing. That's who he was. Every Christian needs such a person in their life a person to be a brother, both belonging to the same source of life, of Father God, a co-worker working together to the same goal and a fellow soldier, one who shares in the trials. We all need them. We all need that person in our life. You fill your life with friends like that and as Paul and Solomon would say, you'll go places. You fill your life with people opposite to that. You'll go places, but the wrong places. And I guess, and another thought is this. All of this should not only encourage us to choose positive friendships, they should also encourage us to be positive friendships. You need to be those Epaphrodites in other people's lives. You need to set strong, godly examples and be life for those that you are hanging around with. In this way you will be a peer support that contributes to the lives and the character to those around you. You will be a blessing and you will help them grow. You will help them be on the right track. I got permission, but not to embarrass them. But one thing I've learned since being here, I love when I see friends like this. And we have two in this church. And they've even come across countries. I've chatted with Jonathan and Gavin. These guys have been friends since they were teenagers, they're in the same church. But they've kept in contact. But more than that, I know Jonathan has shared, um, not only with me personally, but Bible study, how at times Gavin has been a real inspiration and answered some hard questions. And not that he said it, but I'm sure Gavin could say the same. These guys are who they are today because of their friendship with each other. They've been blessed along the journey. That's what we need. We need strong peers. We need strong friends 
that are going to help point us in the right direction. And so that's it. But I want to finish with this. As most of you know, I'm leaving. And you know, people have said to me, oh, Garth, it's not going to be the same. It's just not going to be the same. Man, I struggle with that. Really? It is. It is going to be the same. And I want to tell you, it's even going to be better. You still have each other. You still have each other. And this is the one main reason why I finished with this sermon series. You have each other. You know, one of the most important parts of church is the family-like aspect. Church is a family. Family is possible for me the most attractive image describing the church in our scripture. Being a part of the family of God is a great blessing. It is one of the best blessings you will have. Do you know, we have um, a, a bank in Queensland called Baplink. It's a Baptist bank. And we had the guy who is the CEO of Baplink. He come and he was sharing with us pastors one day. He never grew up a Christian. He became a Christian when he was 47 years old. And we said, oh, how'd you become a Christian? And he said, I remember I had Christian friends and they invited me to church. He said, I went to church a couple of times. And he said, what he remembered most was this, that these people sitting here really understand what special thing they have going on here. He says, I wasn't even thinking of God at this point. He said, I just looked at what these people had together, what these people shared this common belief and he remembered thinking to himself, do they get it? Do they understand what special thing they have? I believe it's part of the God's, God's divine plan in our salvation and sanctification is this. He saves us and then he chooses a family or a church for us to become part of. He then places us in that family. You are not part of Pakenham Baptist Church by mistake. You are not part of this family by mistake. And let me tell you, you didn't choose to be a part of Pakenham Baptist Church. You may think you did, but I tend to disagree. God chose for you to be a part of Pakenham Baptist Church. God is the one that puts you into his field, into his family. We become part of a family. But more than that, we become part of a family and experience something that we've never, ever experienced before. We experience feelings and emotions in the family of God that we never experienced before. The reason is this. It is what joins us together as the family of God that makes all the difference from any other family that you can ever be a part of. What joins the family of God together, every person in the family of God is only there because they've been brought into a new relationship with Jesus Christ. This new relationship with Jesus Christ has impacted us so much, we are now completely new people. Whenever you come into the family of God, you are completely and utterly new. This new relationship with Jesus, we can see how God saves us, makes you new, puts you into a family of new Christian brothers and sisters that you can help love and grow. And you know what? If that's all there was to being a Christian, if that's all there was to being a part of the family of God, you could still say with great confidence being a part of the family of God is a great blessing. 
But there is more blessing in being the family of God than just knowing that God saves you, makes you new, and puts you into a family where you can help each other grow. What's the more I'm talking about? Being a part of the family of God is great because our relationship with Jesus should be impacting one another. Whenever you come in contact with another Christian, it should be like nothing else. It should be like when Mary and Elizabeth got together when they were pregnant and they said, oh, something happened inside me. Or those guys on the road talking to Jesus and they didn't know it, but they said, didn't we burn within? This place is going to be the same because in you, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have God himself living in you. That's what it is. That's what takes this place forward. We need the relationship we have with Jesus to be impacting one another, to be connecting with one another. We need it to be strong and have good peer friendships. How? By the way we live, by the way we share, by the way we encourage, by the way we pray, by the way we serve, by the way we give. That's what it means to be good friends. In this family God has chosen for you, and placed you in, you have a chance to impact on the spiritual life of those around you. Don't go running off your own separate ways. Get to know each other. Get to see why God has you in this place. Get to see what people sitting in these pews and out there and online have to offer one another. You have a chance to have an impact on the spiritual life of those around you which in turn has an impact on the spiritual life you live. What a blessing. What a challenge. It shows how much we need each other. Every Christian needs a Barnabas to receive encouragement, a Timothy to guide as a protege, and an Epaphrodites to enjoy on a peer level. May God help you grow together and may you forever Bring glory to God as a church. And may your relationships with each other be strengthened greatly. Amen.